0: My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're talking. Talking. Talking.
1: Talking. 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 Talking.
0: Talking.
2: Talking. Talking. Talking.
0: Talking. Talking. Talking Tesla.
2: All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sorry to steal your line, Herbert. I know you hate talking, why when did you steal happens, my line? I'm just kidding.
0: It's upsetting Talking to me.
2: Tesla 37, uh, the title of this show is You Are Living in the Matrix?
0: Yeah, I titled it before. Usually I title it afterwards, but it's, <laughs> I had to do it before. Hey, uh, Tom's here. Robert's here. We're going to do something different this time. We're actually going to do a couple of things are different. Um, Elon spoke at the Code Conference 2016 with Recode's Kara Swisher and The Verge's Walt Mossberg this was an hour and a half you can get it online it's in the show notes it's so important to what is happening at tesla for the next uh, few years i thought we had to do this in serious detail now the other thing i noticed was last week you ready for this boys when there's three of us yeah we tend to talk over each other which makes the audio what did you quality say now? which makes the audio quality dookie well I-
2: I'll be honest with you, I try to raise my hand and you don't ever stop talking, <laughs> I so I can't it. get
0: a word in edgewise. I like to hear the said in my own voice. So <laughs> we're going to try and do better at um, not talking over the top of each other. Oh, Robert's head's up. I'm just testing. <laughs> okay. This was a test. Oh my gosh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Tom's got his head up. It's not going to work. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, a quick, uh, Tom. Yeah. You've been driving a lot. I You've have. been going to see Copa America football throughout California. I saw the
2: US play the yes. Colombians yes. in Santa Clara. Yes, drove uh, my first extended journey. You know, in a Tesla Model 60. Was it comfortable? Oh wait, that's my car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very comfortable. Nice. I stopped at a supercharger. I never had to stop with with Herbert the Button Willow supercharger. It's pretty new. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I met a lovely lady there. Passed out some of our cards. Uh, Maybe I might have put some of our other cards on the superchargers. I don't know. It's hard to say because that's <laughs> littering, and I don't support that. Saw some X's on the road. Saw let all. Let's. I went to one gas station or one area of charging. Can't remember exactly which one it was. I think it was Harris Ranch, and we'll just move on with the interview after this. They had supercharging. No, it was it was Harris Ranch supercharging. Yes, battery swap which is closed, we know that, gas stations, and a hydrogen filling station.
0: Wow. Tom found a hydrogen filling station. I found station two. And he urinated on it. Tri- did you
2: know that there were- <laughs> there's two? On the- I pissed on one. <laughs> two different versions of hydrogen. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Didn't see anyone filling up no. the old hydrogen. Of course not. Yeah. yeah. But there they are. But then there They're are, out there.
1: as I mentioned earlier, at, at Harris Ranch, the new Teslatini. Yeah. So you can have your Teslatini. Well, your wife drives you the rest of the way <laughs> to San Francisco. I was with
2: a guy with a broken right foot, so I drove the whole way.
0: We're going to start with SpaceX. So again, Elon's there. He's doing a Q&A with Kara and Walt, and I just find it so fascinating. Here's the first thing they talk about. This is almost in order, but I actually took uh, questions from the audience and then put them at the r- appropriate pace. So SpaceX, here's the deal. Um, landing a rocket ...on a drone ship is key. Why is it key, Elon? He said because... um, Well, actually, explain some basic fundamental physics I didn't understand. When you go into space and get weightless and float around in the spaces, it has to do with your horizontal velocity, not your distance from the Earth. I had this fundamental misunderstanding. You had to get a certain distance above the Earth to get weightless, and then you can do geosynchronous and all this stuff, and it has nothing to do with that. At 100 kilometers, the gravity that you are feeling if you were stationary is about 3% less than it is on the ground. So you just fall back to Earth. Mm-hmm. So you have to get this vertical velocity. And this vertical velocity has to be very fast because you have to get this vertical velocity to get that radial, you know, getting thrown away from the Earth feeling. Horizontal. Excuse me. Horizontal, sorry. <laughs> and that uh, is, then you've got your gravity pulling down. Once those two forces are equal, then you are. Weightless. Then you right. can be weightless. I like the example he gave of the
1: of the coin funnel. Yes. If you go to like a, a, an amusement park and you put the coin in and it swirls around the funnel faster and faster as it goes to the center and you watch it go down. Now imagine reversing that and leaving Earth's orbit is just to get to an elevation where there's not enough atmosphere so that you can start going horizontally and spin your way out from the globe. The, the, the gravity of the globe so that you can get into space and the space station does go 17,000 Thousand miles. miles per hour.
3: The, the, the reason that things go up and stay up is because you're, you're zooming around the Earth so fast that your outward radial acceleration is equal to the inward acceleration of gravity. And so those balance out and you have a net zero gravity. So when you see the space station, the thing that's a little, little sort of... Um, counterintuitive is that the space station is actually zooming around the Earth at 17,000 miles an hour.
0: And the only reason you do this outside the atmosphere is because the atmosphere at that speed is so thick it's like molasses.
3: It's like
2: molasses at that speed.
0: At that speed. So you've got to go up so you can go fast you've got to go fast so that you can get to this sort of uh, gravitational state. So the right. space station goes at 25 times the speed of a handgun bullet. That is pretty cool.
2: So Not my gun. No, my gun's way fast. Yeah, whatever.
0: Rail gun. (laughs) And so why do you want to land on a drone ship? Well, you want to get the first stage back because it's really expensive. It's $30 million. He used the example of it's like having a pallet of cash.
2: (laughs) That's the best example. That was actually my favorite thing of this entire interview, to
1: be honest with you. $40 million of cash falling through the atmosphere.
0: So he explains it to his uh, guys. Like, imagine there's $40 million. We should... We should try and get that $40 million out of the air. We should give it a shot. So the reason you have this uh, drone landing thing is that now you realize that the uh, rocket is going up. It's now going horizontal really fast. To turn it around and come back to where you started would mean you'd have to expend all that energy again to stop it and then turn it around and come back. So you just let it go on that arc, you detach it, and then you have to have the drone ship um, about where it would then crash into the water within one meter, you have to be that accurate. Go Co- on, Tom. Correct, but
2: he said some things that I felt were a tiny bit contradictory. Right, because he talked about it's not about the amount of fuel right on it, although it is a little bit about the fuel that's on it. We we talked about why they did this. We talked about why they want the barge over the thing. However, he said it's almost. It's more of a physics problem of being able to reverse that rocket and get it to come back. But they did it. They did it at Vandenberg. They brought it back to land no, at, at Vandenberg.
0: at Cape Canaveral. They landed at Cape Canaveral.
2: Wasn't that the Vandenberg landing?
0: No. no? I don't think so. Okay, but they did it. They brought it back. Yes. I... So it's
2: not a physics issue. It's what you're saying. It is exactly what you're saying. It's about payload and about fuel, All what we've said four or five episodes back. So that's where I got a little bit irritated with this interview because he basically said nothing new.
0: Robert has his hand up. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> Since we're not
1: physicists and we're not rocket scientists, then there are some details he didn't get into. Like how heavy is your payload? How much fuel do you have left over? What direction are you sending your payload in? And at what speed do you need to get it? And how much fuel do you have left over? All these factor into where they launch from, and how they land and or can they land. And I'm sure there are some, uh, there are going to be some ways and uh, some some payloads, maybe when they do Falcon Heavy and they're launching huge payloads to send to Mars, they're not going to necessarily going to be able to bring all this stuff back because the mission is too critical and you can't get what you want
0: in space by having to also return everything. So that's it, what I understood too, that, that – Yes, you physically could get back, although he does make a comment like it's like physically impossible. Um, and I had the same thing. But they did do it once, but I don't think they had much of a payload at Cape Canaveral. But the details, I'm sure somebody else will ask. But now I basically understand the concept. You're going up, you're going sideways, and to use a lot less fuel, just let it keep going sideways and then put your drone ship about where it's going to land and then fire a few rockets and boom.
3: So in, in order to get back to the launch site, you would have to have enough... Uh, I fuel and oxygen to reverse out that velocity, and 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 boost back all the way to the launch site. Uh, and you just don't have the physics of it; don't really allow you to have that much. It's, it's not about saving money on fuel or anything. It's just physically impossible. Um, so, um, because another sort of thing about uh, if you're if you're in space is that there's nothing to react against. So, like whereas an aircraft can can circle very easily because it's reacting against air. In vacuum, there's nothing to react against. So the only way to go back the other direction is to apply just as much energy as it took you to go... If you want to go backwards, you have to apply just as much energy as it took you to go forwards. Mm-hmm. In fact, well, twice as much, really, because you've got to zero it out, and then you've got to... You've yeah. got to land elsewhere. Yeah,
2: and then you, the other aspect that's interesting when you get into the heavy... And you get into the even bigger one that he sort of alluded to. The uber heavy. The uber (laughs) heavy, right? They're going to need more drone ships.
1: Yeah. I believe there's more than one already. Well, there's
2: two. Yeah, There's one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. But if they're going to drop the heavy and the uber heavy, which has... 10 i think it's four tubes the uber heavy the the heavy is three tubes tubes. and the uber heavy's got to be four or five right they're going to want to try to get all of those back right Forty thousand, forty million
1: 40 million times
2: times (laughs) x right like he's like that's a 200 million dollar launch we should go get those pallets of money
1: and then they're going to need like how many people to actually pilot them back down I or think, observe them being piloted yeah, back down. I
2: think that's computers, Robert. Skynet is what they call those computers.
0: We saw Skynet. <laughs> we saw it. Very dangerous. Actually, uh, when we were at the SpaceX uh, place down there in, uh, what's it called, uh, Hawthorne? Yeah. They uh, showed us a computer and somebody sort of painted beautifully on the side of it, Cyberdyne Systems.
2: <laughs> one was Cyberdyne and one was Skynet. And we're like, that's not funny.
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> it <laughs> turned out badly, right?
2: <laughs> like, did you see the end of that movie? It's bad. I fell asleep. Yeah, terrible.
0: Robert, you have a picture here of uh, why they fire off from where they do, from Cape Canaveral and Vandenberg. Can you explain this? Because all I can see is squiggly lines and yellow things.
2: And the listeners can't see anything. So this is going to be great. That's true. That's good radio. We
0: can put it on the website.
2: Yeah, we
1: will. This is from the NASA History Office. It talks about why they launch space shuttles and or space objects from either Vandenberg or from Cape Canaveral. And it basically has to do with what type of orbit you're trying to achieve. And so Vandenberg, Tom, you'd asked, why aren't they using Vandenberg more? And basically, this is for satellites that are going to go in a polar orbit, a geosynchronous orbit, like satellites for cell phones and things like that. And personally, I wish they would do a lot more of those, because then I could go watch them. Yes. (laughs) I wouldn't have to travel across the country. But the ones that launch from Kennedy or Cape Canaveral are for the orbital missions. So every supply mission to the uh, space station has to get into an orbit and to reach that, they have to launch from Kennedy. And a lot of this has to do with what's downstream. So if the thing crashes and you launch it from Vandenberg, you don't want it to end up in Las Vegas or Phoenix. That would be bad.
2: That would be terrible. That would be we, we agree. Oh, that That's would why there's no space station uh, launch site in Omaha. Uh,
1: yes. Exactly. <laughs> Although Elon does have a launch site in Texas, right? But he it's off the Gulf, site. near right. the Gulf. I don't know if that fits these criteria, but maybe when this thing gets so good and Skynet is controlling every launch, they can launch from downtown Los Angeles and you can go. That'd be cool. Yeah. Go to the Staples Center and
0: watch it go.
2: Elon, if you're listening, that's a really bad idea.
0: (laughs) All right. So I got it. Now let's go on. So Kara asked, uh, what is your goal in SpaceX in the short term? So, they want to uh, relaunch one of these uh, first-stage boosters in the next two to three months to prove that you can go up and come back. They've brought four back, but now we're going to see that you can reuse it. Um, He says that the rockets are looking really good. By the end of the year, they're going to use their Falcon Heavy, which is twice as powerful as any other rocket in the world, but it's still only two-thirds as powerful as the Saturn V rocket, which was the rocket that they sent the men to the moon, the Apollo 11 mission. So, uh, their first launch is going to be a demo only. Um, next year, they'll start doing commercial launches. Currently, just as a, out of interest, a third, no, a quarter of their launches that they do right now for NASA, and three quarters of all, uh, commercial for things like satellites and space and stuff. They're going to be launching every two to four weeks, which is very cool, which will be more than anybody in the world starting next year. Wow. China still is beating right now. Um, they're, for example, they're going to be launching all of the Iridium Constellation satellites, their Iridium 2 which is uh, these geosynchronous um, internet global broadband things. So they're going to be doing 60 or 70 of those, putting 60 or 70 of those up. Yes, Robert? I love the way he puts his hand up. What what
1: is China launching into space so often? Everything. They're they're the most... Satellites. Satellites.
2: Because they're the only ones that can do it. In Russia. For communications, yeah, and I mean the Russians. Because I think at this point, a lot of companies have lost... Faith in the Russian sort of government situation. Mm. They're, you know, oddly enough, not as stable as China. <laughs> Weird, right? <laughs> Trying to, to even say that China's yeah. outstabilized Russia
0: <laughs> Good work, China Next year they're going to uh, fly the Dragon 2 You were calling it Uber Uber But uh, Dragon 2 version 2 Which will be able to deliver astronauts into space
2: That's different, by the way We're not. We're talking about very different things here The Uber Uber is a bigger thing That's the get to Mars ship that he was talking about The first stage and Which is going to occur Because it can carry bigger payloads Right, The Dragon 2 is just... The crew capsule on top of the regular, probably on the heavy would be my guess, because they probably will need some additional payload. Like if they're going to bring it up that the seven crew members adds weight, their gear adds weight. It's also a resupply typically, so all of that adds weight. So they probably need the heavy for that would be my guess.
1: I think that actually Falcon 9 can lift like somewhere around 7,000 pounds. Correct me if I'm wrong. It might be a little more, but still, seven astronauts... And life support equipment probably doesn't
0: max that out. So you got your dragon. It could be standard. You got your dragon version two. You got your falcon heavy, and then he's got another one coming, which is going to be the most powerful rocket of all time. And they're going to talk about it at this September. Yeah, that's and
2: I really I don't know about you guys. I really want to go to that. It's in Guadalajara. Unfortunately, the day after I'm scheduled to be uh, on a plane to Chile, so I don't think I can go.
1: Can you get a parachute and just kind of jump out a little
2: bit? But it looks like a shit ton of fun, I'm not going to lie to you. So
0: what we're talking about here is in Mexico, in September 26th to the 30th, there's this sort of international conference on flying in space.
2: And anyone can go.
0: And anyone can go? I didn't know that. Sweet. And he is going to talk about their exact plans about how they're going to get to Mars and when and what rockets, and that is going to be pretty cool. They're going to be um, outlining how they do this. But basically, they asked him, well, when are you going to get to Mars? 2018 is their first planned trip to Mars. It's probably just going to be stuff, not people. The first people going to Mars, he says, 2024 arriving in 2025 what? with a very what? big rocket. 2024 used to be a long time ago. It's five minutes from now. What I'm
1: wondering is how many supply missions to Mars, unmanned, is it going to take to support people in 2024-25? I mean, that's they have three launch windows between now and that that's how, That's exactly
2: what I was going to say. That's how many. Three. Well, I are they, they going to do three... like
1: four each launch window? Are they going to like go that's, ballistic?
0: That's what – so the launch window thing that he discussed there was that every 26 months, the Earth and Mars are in the right place where yeah. you can launch. So – It doesn't mean that it's four rockets. It could be like 10 rockets every time. But how
2: big is the window? Is the window a week? Is the window two weeks? Because this could be – Just a little bit of fuel differential. But this could be be the situation where like Vandenberg, Texas, and Kennedy, three rockets. I'm sure the launch
1: windows are like, you know, the moon. How long is the moon full? For 12 hours? Right. So you've got time.
2: But you can't. But what I was asking is like they couldn't use – if it was a week, they could theoretically turn Kennedy around and do Kennedy
1: twice. How many launch sites are there at Kennedy?
2: There, I think they only have one.
0: We have no idea. Let's move on. <laughs> um, the other things that he talked about is uh, the Earth is nice. We shouldn't abandon it. Somebody was suggesting that he said that uh, we need to get off the Earth because we've destroyed it. And he's like, no, it's very nice. We I, just, I just
1: have to warn the listeners that the interviewees were a bit annoying. I didn't think they really treated Elon with the respect that he deserves. I thought
2: they treated him with respect. I thought they were just lobbing softballs. He was being very dismissive, and I don't know. I, honestly, it's worth watching. For me, it was full of fluff. It was full of stuff oh, we already knew.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg are very famous um, journalists in the tech industry, but it was pretty clear that there was a lot of this stuff they just they didn't know what follow-up question to do because they didn't know what the hell he was talking about. All right, so where somebody from the audience asked, is SpaceX about making lots of money by going to Mars, or is it basically just providing uh, sort of the backbone for Mars innovation? And his summary of this was pretty good. Look, flying to Mars is a big deal. We're going to do that, but there's going to be so much... Um, Technology, so much innovation, so much enterprise that occurs from just being able to transport stuff to Mars that there is an enormous opportunity for lots of other people to make cash. For example, there's going to need to be pizza on Mars. Absolutely. I don't really want to be a pizza guy. Somebody's going to have to make Mars pizzas. There was lobbying against Domino's. I don't know if that's like... I like Domino's. Why does Domino's always get crap? He's like, there's going to have to be a lot of mining on Mars. I'm not really interested in being a miner, but you know, those miners will need to have rockets. We'll do that. So he sounds like. We a, need fuel, basically, to get shit back from Mars. Right. So, so,
2: like, the first 10 missions, like, you can't get it back. The other part is what. This is what I thought of the other day. You go to Mars. You've got your right. your propulsive landing thing down. Me, me personally? Oh, somebody. Somebody, A yes. bunch of people go to Mars. A bunch of things go to Mars. I'm yes. interested. Then they start landing the, obviously, they're going to do, at some point, they're going to have to land a vehicle on Mars that can come back, mm-hmm. right? What is that vehicle? And if it's, let's say it's something, a modified stage one type situation, right? And you're on Mars, they're going to have to have a facility To, like, go through it and check all the parts, just like they do in Hawthorne,
1: to make sure that it's safe to take
2: off and come back, right?
1: So, the Dragon capsule already has thrusters on it. So, they can use the Dragon capsule to land on Mars using thrusters. They've shown that the Dragon capsule on Earth, which a much greater gravitational pull, can lift off just with its own thrusters. Yeah. So, now... All they need is to put some fuel back on it, unless it already has some, and they can escape Mars velo- uh, Mars gravity with their boosters and hook up with something in space that will then shoot them back to the planet Earth onto which they can land with uh, parachutes or hook up with the space station or something in an interim. So right. I expect they already have much of this worked out if he's already announcing that astronauts are taken off in 2024. Well, every, everything we've ever heard about people going to Mars,
2: they don't come back.
0: They did in the movie, which he talked <laughs> about. He said that a Martian movie, The Martian, is really good. Uh, 80% of it is uh, scientifically accurate, and some of it is a little fantastical. For example, uh, firing up from Mars um, when you don't really have a spaceship that has a computer control. And then, when you're in space, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert: cutting a hole in your spacesuit—pricking, I think, is what she said. with your the expelled, like, uh, But Matt Damon could do it. We all agreed. If anybody could do it, Matt Damon could Matt do it. Matt is a cool dude. The other he, thing, important thing he said, because he's been misquoted here a lot, he said a year or more ago that he wouldn't mind dying on Mars. Uh, preferably not on impact And a lot of people have said This guy's got a death wish He wants to go to Mars He's never going to be He's like no
1: Oh please To be
0: born on Earth To do good things on Earth To set up all this stuff And then one day when I'm old To fly to Mars And live my last few years out on Mars And to die there Would be kind of a cool and interesting thing And when you say it that way Yeah I think that's pretty cool
3: But you're not it's, ready it's, to... so, it's not some sort of Martian death wish or something um, <laughs> But but uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be born on Earth die on
0: Mars. I think a few of us at the table might
1: actually consider
0: that. Yeah, uh, to to leave now to go to Mars to, to die when all my friends and family Without. are not good. But if I'm 80 and I'm like, I've had a good life, got a couple more years, I want to go hang out on Mars, let's, see what that's let, like. Let's take a I'll vote.
2: Do do you, do you want to die on Mars? Okay, let's not call you 80. You got to be healthy enough to survive the the push off of the Earth.
0: I'm gonna be so healthy.
2: So 75 years old, you're kind of you're grandkids are living their lives and you're you're out of here, You're like you would go and die on Mars and not come back?
0: I would consider it.
2: Okay, Robert?
1: It depends. I may not have grandkids, and that might be a really cool thing. And if the pizza is really good,
0: I might just go. Maybe my grandkids are coming with me. Maybe
1: we're all going. Maybe oh,
2: so we're now all You're gonna going to kill your grandchildren on <laughs> Mars.
1: Maybe the tides have risen high enough from the melting of the polar ice caps that there's kind it's of called a riot weather. situation along all the coasts, and you could live in the middle of the planet.
0: It's called weather. All right. It's uh, cold weather. Let's go to <laughs> Tesla. So the next uh, group of things they talked about was Tesla, obviously. So... Where is the uh, company with autonomy versus other one, uh, other companies, he was asked. You know, What's going on here? And he made this sort of funny comment like it's every week now that some car manufacturer comes out and says, yeah. we're going to have autonomous vehicles, and which he says is all good, um, and that Tesla really is about you know this acceleration to sustainable energy, and they want to get the Model 3 to a half a million cars by 2018, to be and able one to one produce, million by 20. I'm sorry, to, be able to, to be able to produce a half a million cars a year. And people are going to want full autonomy, He believes that Google is really not going to be a direct competitor. He really thinks that Google is just setting up technologies that they'll sell to third parties. But Apple, because of the hiring that they have done, because of the names that are going over there, it's pretty clear to him that Apple will be a manufacturer of cars. He doesn't think, it's his guess, because like he says, Apple doesn't tell him that it's going to be 2020 before you actually see an Apple car on the road. But don't worry, because even right now, the biggest car manufacturer only has about 10% of the market. So he doesn't think that Tesla or Apple or any one person is going to dominate this market like Apple has with uh, smartphones and take 50% of the market. So you're going to see a whole bunch of people doing this, and that's good because we need to get to autonomous electric vehicles. And think about how many cars are actually made
1: each year. In the world, there are 60 million cars produced every year, and Tesla plans to make 1 million by 2020? That's one million not... Model Threes, right? But okay, so one million and one hundred thousand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, it just depends if they can figure out a, if there is more of a market for those expensive cars, or if the price of the X comes down cheaper.
1: I mean, and, and what about the Model Y?
2: Why not? Yeah, what? why? What? Why? Z? Who? And
1: what? the and and the the pickup truck?
2: Because what if the X? I mean, let's be honest. Like, what if the X? What if the battery factory, which he talked about a little bit, gets to scale? to the situation where the batteries are 50% cheaper than they are now, that's a good portion of what it's costing to make the X. There might be a bigger demand for the X if it's $60,000,
1: right?
0: Yeah, I think this is just the beginning. This is the beginning, and we're going to see them make many millions of Teslas.
1: I like what he said. He said, it's going to be odd to have a car without autonomy in the future.
2: Yeah, my favorite part of it was when they asked him if – if he thought that the government should force people to be autonomous. He's like, I'm into freedom, and I don't think so. But I think that the test, if you want to still drive, is going to be a lot more difficult. Uh, personally, I think it should be more
0: difficult now. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll, so well, we'll let's on. keep going on because I want to get back to the Model Sorry. 3. I should have moved this around a little bit. But here's batteries. Um, so the opening party is coming in July of the Gigafactory, which is very exciting. They invited – they got invited. Oh, they Walt- got invited
1: sh- yeah, right start, there on
2: the show. we got to start pushing yeah. this media we press ne- thing.
1: I think we need to invite Elon to a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll get yeah. invited to everything. Okay.
2: He says there's lots of nonsense <laughs> about only batteries. like
0: a few miles from here. Well, he, yeah. he, he says there's lots of nonsense about batteries. He says believe about 1% of what you read. Uh, for the record, lithium is only about 2% of the battery. The rest is basically nickel and graphite. Battery density at this point is not the most important thing right now. As he said, look – the model, new Model Ss get about 300-mile range, which is about enough. They could make a 400-mile car, but that's really not what it's about right now. What really matters right now is getting that cost per unit of energy down. So if you can get about 300 miles, that's enough if you can charge it reasonably quickly. And so it's about getting that cost down. How do you do that? Design iteration. Try a new one, get a little bit better. Try a new one, get a little bit better. They've been doing it. And then it's economies of scale, which is what the Gigafactory is about, which is about dropping the price of that battery by
1: 50%. I thought it was interesting when I heard him describe what goes into the lithium-ion battery. He said it's nickel, graphite, carbol, carb, cobalt, car, cobalt, aluminum, silicon oxide. And I just thought about that McDonald's jingle about sesame seeds. To all beef, a, special on on a sauce, let us uh, <laughs> Yeah. What, maybe butter. it wasn't, whatever, it was a burger joint. I thought that was great. Somebody's got to turn that into a little bit of a rap song.
0: Let's do Model 3 stuff and get back to what Tom was talking about. So he says, look, the response has been amazing. Um, The product is really resonating, and he believes it's because they made a great car. The S was fantastic and got lots of buzz, and the X was a great car. And he acknowledges it had a lot of issues at the beginning, but already they've got the production down much better. And so he thinks people are flocking to the 3 because they are going to expect that Tesla's going to make a great car. And he said, again, even the base model is going to be sweet what's what's may
1: musk's autonomous car going to look like he well, kind of uh, he kind of alluded that his mother too was going to come out yeah. with a electric I think, autonomous I think car that was a joke i think,
0: <laughs> did, think that yeah. was a joke so, mom you too so it's going to be uh, great it's going to be wonderful and this is where you start to get into uh, the suppositions so he says at the end of the year there's going to be another model 3 event And they said, well, what are you going to announce at this Model 3 event? And he's like, I'm going to announce the obvious. Um,
3: It will be real big news if I start here. Um, We don't mind that. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just say that we're going to do the obvious thing. Okay. Okay. Got it. It's really obvious. So, boys, what
0: is the obvious thing that he's going to announce at the next Model 3 event? Tom, you go first.
2: I, I think it's full autonomy. I think it's that's the most that's the most obvious thing. Full autonomy included in the base price, not
1: an not uh, not an option.
0: So not just full autonomy, but the base model. Full, full autonomy. autonomy. Well, for Robert, everyone. what do you think?
1: I think it's going to be the autonomy that we've been waiting for, that can take me from my driveway to the hospital
0: parking lot without my touching the steering wheel. So if we jump forward in the audio, there's actually a question from the audience, and this audience member says, "How long before we get full autonomy and before it's li- illegal for g- humans to drive?" Let me insert the quote here. Well,
3: I, I mean, I think, I mean, I really would consider autonomous driving to be basically a solved problem.
0: So he says that full autonomy is basically a solved problems problem. We need billions of miles of data, but we can get that very fast because already they're getting millions of miles of data per day just from tesla so he thinks and this is where it all comes together it'll be less than two years before we have complete autonomy and it just turns out that that's the same time frame that the model 3s come out so i agree with tom he is going to announce full autonomy in the base car thank you very much
2: and it's going to go to all the other cars like i you know i think it's not model specific it's at the most it's a software upgrade for cars that already have the hardware in it and well at the least it's going to be a software upgrade at the most they may just have to put in an additional sensor a little i would recommend one around the height of the rear view mirror potentially to see the things like the stop signs and the stop lights and and such they have a camera up there actually
0: do they
1: yeah if you look where your your rear view mirror is if you look from the windshield side you'll see there's a Wedge shaped cutout under the glass, that's where a camera sits.
0: Well, they should use it,
1: yes. The they camera should. sits
2: <laughs> in your car, without not in my car, in the car's in Mel's with AutoPilot. model X. That's right. So, but do
0: the- they need any other sensors? What they have right now is semi autonomous, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's good. What do they need for full autonomy? What extra sensors?
1: I don't know about what extra sensors they need, but what he actually said was it's already a solved problem, except for. Driving between 30 and 40 miles per hour in open environments, that is still the most difficult. So out on a rural road where you've got 40-mile-an-hour speed limit, there's no car you're following, there's dicey side markers for the road, maybe not even a good center line on the road, and then fog rolls in or it gets rainy, there is where they have the difficulties. And what sensors they need to go beyond that, I don't know. But consider this. Lots of different people are planning autonomous cars. Does Uber need to drive in rural Fresno County? No. Uber can make all the money they need driving their autonomous car in Beijing and New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles. So those cars may not need all those sensors. They just need enough to do their job. And Tesla might be the autonomous car that you call up on your Uber-like app to take you to Vegas or San Francisco or Denver or wherever you are getting to another city. So there's probably going to be different types of autonomous environments. So when you call up your car, I don't think in 10 years most of us are going to own a car. It's just going to be prohibitively expensive. It's kind of a Soylent Green kind of a change of paradigm. And so we're just going to go to our phone or whatever it is. It might be implanted in our head and say, thought, hmm, I want to drive to Trader Joe's, and a car will show up specific for that
0: trip. Um, so I agree with you. I think there's going to have to be some more sensors. I can't wait for this end-of-year event to hear about what they're going to do. A few more sensors. And i got to say right now, just driving the wife's X, it is by far at its best at slow speeds on the freeways with lots of stuff around. I feel like I could just, like... Fall asleep like that guy did <laughs> when we talked about last <laughs> At high speeds, I still get anxious, but I get anxious. I'm the worst passenger in the world. I get anxious whether there's the best human driver in the world. So, but at we- slow speeds in traffic like that, it seems so safe. It's looking to the left, it's looking to the right, it's looking in front, and looking in the back. Where I get really afraid is when you're booking along on the freeway, and you can see, I think I've talked about it a couple of times, that the way down there, the traffic has stopped, and the car's still doing 65, 70, and it hasn't seen far enough ahead. I'd like a sense that it sees a bit further ahead. I want to know how will the autonomous brain on these
1: cars deal with the former backseat driver who's now a front seat driver? Oh, no. Oh, no. The car says, it's OK, mate. Calm down.
2: It'll just tighten the seatbelt a little.
0: <laughs> I'll do what I do. <laughs> I'll do what I do when my son is driving and my wife is uh, with us. I just hop in the back seat and I don't watch. Dave, Dave.
2: (laughs) Head down on the phone. Relax, Dave.
0: So another question from the audience was, how are you going to hit this new production deadline? So he said, we're going to try and get up to half a million cars in 2013. And his summary was, we designed cars to be fantastic, the S and the X. And I got a little crazy with the X, but the three is all about hitting these production targets. So everything is going to be about solving the problem of... um, getting this done. So I'm not going to be able to go, I want Falcon Wing doors, and I'm sort of summarizing here. We're going to have the whole production team there and we're going to say, can we do this? And then we turn to the manufacturing person and they go, yeah, we can do that. and We can do it fast. We can do it on time. So it's going to be a very different production model. And they've said that in the next few weeks, pens down. They're going to be finished their design and that's it. Anything new, anything substantially new will have to be in a different model. So Tom, do you believe... That for the first time in Tesla's history, they're actually going to get their car out at the date they say.
2: Well, I think it's going to be close, and I think the one takeaway that I had about that particular segment, right, when that audience question came up, and he talked about making design decisions based on ease of manufacturing, right? The one question that I have is, will that be? Will, will they sacrifice like a little bit of the Tesla DNA? make those decisions. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it was just something that came into my head. Like they're going to, like they never made, he's never made a decision in one of his cars or, or probably very rarely a serious design decision in which he was like, can we get this done? Right. So it's a different, it's a different way for him to think about design and to think about the end user purposefully to make more cars. But does that sort of make it? 20% less Tesla-ish on some levels, right?
1: I think that there's a learning curve to creating a car company and making a large amount of cars. To make a couple thousand roadsters going to a million cars a year is a huge change. And so he talked about, if you think about every disaster, we've experienced it.
3: Like Any natural disaster you care to name... All of those things have happened to our suppliers. The factory has burnt down, there's been an earthquake, there's been a you know, tsunami, there's been uh, massive hail, uh, there's been a tornado, uh, the ship sank, uh, there was a shootout at the Mexican border. Um, no kidding, um, that, that delayed trunk carpet at one point. Well, like, and we couldn't get, and, like the, and like the border patrol wouldn't give us the truck, because it had like, bullet holes in it. Um, we just wanted our trunk carpet. Um, like, it's pretty safe. <laughs> so it's like no cocaine or anything. This is good. <laughs> um, but, you know, that shut down the production line, as an example, for several days. Um, so so there's, that's the biggest issue, is, like, the supply chain stuff is really tricky. Um, and we're trying to anticipate as much of that as possible, um, increase our optionality so that there's more internal capability at Tesla. Not that we want to do things internally, but if... Um, if a supplier is unable or unwilling to uh, deliver the part, we can quickly make that internally. So what you said there was
0: specifically about what you are saying is that the speed at which you can produce cars is dependent on your slowest supplier. Right. Um, Because you have so many suppliers, if the guy that makes the wheels is really slow, you can't send the car out without wheels. So it sounded to me like they're going to bring a lot of this in-house, but to go back to what Tom said, I think what you heard is... This is going to be a great car. This is going to be a great car, but it can't be the type of car that we've created before. We can't try and make the world's greatest car because that's a hundred thousand dollar car. We're going to make a car at scale that's going to be great. So I think you do lose a little bit of that DNA. It's kind of like Apple having their highest end phone, but then they have a phone that's not quite as good, but it's still a really good phone.
2: Yeah, I agree. And you know, he he addressed the fact that you know they. The mistakes they made with the Roadster not building the chassis themselves and sort of trying to Frankenstein that car together, they learned. They did a little better job. Obviously, they designed the S, you know, a little more individually, but they made the similar mistakes by putting the X on the S chassis, you know, initially, like trying to to wedge it in again instead of starting from the ground up. So it feels like they did. They've learned their lessons and they did a ground up. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to have – they're still going to have – especially S owners and X owners are going to have very high expectations for how luxurious the car is and and all of the other expectations about software and and UI, user experience, all of that other stuff is going to be very important. And I just hope that, you know, if they lose 10% of that, fine. You know, I don't want them to lose fifty percent of it and basically be sort of producing an electric Honda. But
0: well, what you've said, I think, is true before. I think that if you have a lot of cash in the bank, you're going to think, "Oh, the uh, Model Three is cute. I'll get that for my kids. I'll yeah. get that as a second car." But I still really want my tricked-out dual motor, super special, ludicrous Mode X with you know flying capability. <laughs> You'll still have that one. Yeah, this is for the mass. It doesn't have to be as good, and he'll say at this thing, full autonomy in the Model 3, and don't worry, X and S's, they're going to have it too.
1: The user experience that they're developing now using the S and the X owners is going to carry forward. They've got great service. They have a really good car that, as Elon said, you never have to replace the brakes. I mean, the amount of uh, service that's required is really, really minimal. So putting out a million cars is not going to be as challenging to continue to service them and to keep the owners happy since probably uh, your major experience is going to be a yearly service and software upgrades.
2: Yeah. There's
0: only going to be one problem with a million or two million cars a year, right? Yeah. Superchargers. Thank you. All right, let's talk about AI. Elon has been quoted a lot about AI. He's been misquoted a lot. So here's what he said I am not afraid of robots, but he is concerned about AI that gets into the hands of a few people. So artificial intelligence is just going to happen. It's already happening. What he's concerned about is that if it gets into the hands of just a few people, If uh, China has most of the AI, then they will become incredibly powerful because of the things that they'll be able to do. So that's why he started this uh, AI project, which is going to open source it so that we can bring that artificial intelligence to as many people as possible. He uses the quote from Lord Acton, freedom exists in the distribution of power and despotism in its concentration. So if, if... Uh, Google just gets all the best AI then they become incredibly powerful and soon you become corrupt but if you can get AI to as many people as possible then this reduces the probability that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to come and get you or uh, the other guy that's got even more power than that guy.
2: But it has a little bit to do with with nuancing right so let's say he has all this amazing open source AI and some despot in some other country like takes that and then just just has like an amazing little idea and how to tweak it just a little bit. The potential for the despotism uh, feature aspect of it is still there in that case. And then it just becomes an an AI arms race, right? Another sort of AI arms race like, well, your robots can do this. Now i got to make my robots do that. And that's where you get away from what he talked about, benign AI, to this competitive AI situation which could be bad for all of us.
1: So what I took away from the open AI was autonomous. I think that's the name of the organization. There's this underground organization of computer coders. Anonymous. Anonymous. Anonymous.
0: Not autonomous. But, are, but they'll be autonomous after the day <laughs> Anonymous. So you've
1: got a lot of people who are code savvy. They know stuff that all three of us combined don't know. I'll just yeah. say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, Multiply yeah, yeah. No, by 10. For sure. <laughs> and they can look and know where the back doors are and they can help to keep this on the right track.
0: So the point that I took from this and from a science fiction writer who is trying to explain this said – the this ai thing imagine it like skynet that the ai becomes so powerful think of exactly or anonymous think of the best human hacker in the world and how brilliant they are this machine learning is going to get so good it's going to make that guy or girl stupid and this machine is going to be able to hack every network every system take over everything and basically be skynet and that's why you need other ais that can be just as smart and keeping up with that one so that it can say, No, no, you can't hack me because I'm just as smart as you. That's what having this in as many people's hands as possible. Because if one machine gets really smart, it gets to the point where it cannot be hacked by any human at any time. It's just too damn smart.
2: Yeah. And again, I think it, it leads a little bit to that arm race. And that's a little frightening if you think about it. Like, it, then it's all these, you know, hundreds of companies, hundreds of coders. And it's like, if you make the leap right if you're the company that makes the leap and can shut down everyone else's ai and all their systems like it's over like game over that's what that i
0: think that's what his real concern is you know it's, you're yeah. exactly right if somebody gets a little too far ahead then it, they get exponentially ahead. and
2: then at 44 and a half minutes of this mm-hmm. moss <laughs> alludes to like, they ask him, like, who does he think – one of the big players he thinks is potentially evil in this regard. Elon very much, like, skimmed around the surface. But if they weren't talking about Apple, uh, I shouldn't be on this show. Really?
0: I didn't think it was Apple. So the big players is people like Google and Apple and Microsoft and Cortana and Facebook. He and I took Apple- away from this – Facebook that's mostly because I hate Facebook
2: <laughs> but i mean facebook it like apple has this manufacturing they I have all google. these engineers i, oh, that's I thought google so you thought but google. didn't moss say apple and like the look on elon's face was like yeah i think
0: actually i just listened to the audio and i need to go back and look at that because yeah they're... you should
2: go watch that that specific all part right. and i was like oh that he's definitely alluding to all right to ladies Apple and gentlemen boys evil. and girls
0: uh, you can send us letters uh, who do you think <laughs> that Elon thinks yeah. is a potential why. evil empire wow and we,
2: why. we haven't even gotten halfway through this interview
0: oh my gosh all right let's uh speed up here so the next thing he talked about is this idea of the neural lace now this is actually nothing new so if humans are to really have great AI, they need to get that AI into them. And so the way to get this into them is by some way of taking a biological system, our brains, and connecting it to some form of computer. Nothing new here. What he talked about is that we're really pretty good at getting information in. The eyes, for example, and you see this in every great sci-fi movie. You can bring in a lot of data through your eyes digitally, flashing lights and stuff, but um, but And obviously our listeners are amazing
1: at taking in information through their ears. That's
0: right. But our output is really slow. If you're a fast typer, if you're fast talker, your output is really bad. So this idea of uh, some sort of a neural mesh is that somehow into that brain you can put some uh, non-organic material that in speeds this up. He's basically talking about putting in a central line through your carotid, shoving something up into your brain. I don't know what it's going to look like. And he said in order to keep up the, with the machine. So this is a little change. This is not about Apple or Google. Google. <laughs> Google. This is about if we're to keep up the machines, we're going to have to be partially machine ourselves or the machines are going to be just too fast for us. So we're going to have to have partial machine cortices. This is sci-fi. It's amazing. He says, somebody's got to do this or we're going to get taken over by the machines. And they said, are you going to do it? It's like, well, somebody's got to. And if they don't, I'll consider doing it myself. Sci-fi, scary, interesting stuff. I think it's fascinating.
2: I think he spends too much time drinking weird shit in the hot tub, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Because my son,
0: who is 16, who loves Elon, says every now and then he says some stuff that makes him seem a little crazy. But that's true of everybody, who, a visionary, who sees a few feet further than the rest of us. They always seem crazy.
2: I, I, don't, I don't think Bill Gates has ever publicly said half of this lunacy that this man likes to...
1: Has he been asked? I think it's fantastic. I don't the know. The only question yeah. I have is since there is a doctor in the house, Doctors. how would you get multiple connections to sections of your brain into your brain? I think it would be through the Venus route. And he was talking about arterial route. And I was thinking, he knows so much about flow
0: dynamics.
1: Maybe I know just a little bit more than Elon on this
0: one <laughs> little slice. I think, uh, you know, it's easy to see Elon is putting things to space. He's going to go to Mars. He can make uh, cars. But this biological... Um, electronic interface. A lot of people have been working on this. is a mu- This is an order of magnitude more difficult than what he's ever done before. Making cars, great cars, fast is one thing, but trying to do a biological, non biological interface, that is a problem that might take hundreds of years to crack. And then we'll be taken over the, by the overlords by then.
2: Not if the AIs figure it out. That's true. Let them do but it. But they won't
1: give it
0: to us. <laughs> yeah, I think the
1: real scary thing is
0: that uh, he
1: likened himself to a house cat in comparison to true ai and once ai takes off ai will train ai and we'll have generations of ai moving like i mean like generations not really like our life generations but like our coming from the cave to the fire to the machine Those kinds of generational moves happening in a matter of a very short time
2: It'll make Moore's Law seem like a joke
1: Uh, Yeah, it would be Moore's Law to like the fourth or fifth power Every hour
0: Um, The movie Her with, uh, what's her name? Scarlett Johansson Mm -hmm. Is a really interesting uh, sort of adaptation or thought experiment about what this could look like If you haven't seen it, I think you should go see it It's a really good movie, it's on Netflix now But,
2: But that poor dude, he still had to go to work Stupid. Yeah, well, I don't want to work. Let the machines do. The all election. right, a
0: couple more things that he talked about before we finished this off. He talked about they were. He was asked about the elections, and um, he said this is not the finest moment in American democracy. Here, and here. he did say, uh, which a lot of people have said, uh, the amazing thing about the framers is that they realised that too much power on one. Branch of government would be very bad, so that he is hopeful that even if a certain person became president and that certain person is as crazy as he appears to be, that the other branches of government will shut it down. They asked him specifically, but what about firing nukes? And he said he believes, and I believe this is true, that when uh, a certain person says, go nuke North Korea because I'm pissed off today, that the military will say, "Mm, I don't think so. Why don't you go ask Congress if that's a good idea? So he is. uh, very concerned about uh, the state of politics right now, but hopeful that the framers got it right by distributing the power so that one single person can't kill us all. I
2: don't. I don't want to hope that the framers got it right when it comes to the nuclear to the nuclear weapon, and I don't want to get back to a place that I grew up in in the 80s, worrying about this crap
1: every single day. I think it's ridiculous on a lot of levels. I just thought that it was uh, enlightening to listen to Elon's take on governance, because they talked about this when they go to Mars. Of course, uh, Swisher kept saying, "Are are you going to be king of Mars? Are you going to be king of Mars? Are you going to be king of Mars? It kind of made me crazy. But he said that he believes in a direct democracy, not representative government, which is what the style is that we have now, where you vote, and then some other people are supposed to vote what you voted, and then some other people, and it like becomes this so removed that it can be corrupted. And it arguably has been. But the adjustment of laws. He talks about the inertia of laws and having been involved in politics. I thought this was really fascinating. And for another podcast, maybe a, a Supreme Court podcast yes, or something. And so it says it should be easier to eliminate laws than to make laws. It should take 60% of the popular vote to pass a law and only 40% of the popular vote to eliminate a law. And that all laws should have a sunset proposal. In other words, this law will last for two years or five years or 10 years. And if it's not worth renewing, it should go away. Because there are a lot of laws on the books that people don't even realize exist that serve no purpose.
0: So we're going to do this week in uh, Direct Democracy as a new podcast. It's fascinating. (laughs) And uh, to summarize, he said democracy kind of sucks, but... As Winston Churchill says, it's still the best form of government we've ever worked out. So we just try and tweak the forms of democracy. Let's do Hyperloop very quickly. He said, oh, look, I set forth the basic ideas of Hyperloop. Then I step back because I wanted other people to deal with it. If they can't work it out, if it, all these Hyperloop companies don't actually produce something that is workable, then he's prepared to step back in and spend a little cash and a little time in making this happen because he thinks it's important. And Tom will like this because he said specifically – The idea that we would spend a lot of money on a train that's a little bit uh, slower than a Japanese train from the 1980s is pretty stupid. How about we move this forward? Not just another faster train, but something radically different. What do you think, Tom?
2: I think that that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Like, let's do the right thing, especially if it's, I don't know, six times freaking cheaper, which, you know, theoretically it is right now. and it may not be the you know the beautiful, clear tubes that we see in all of the things. It's probably going to be dark tubes. But who cares? I'm going to be on my iPad in that thing anyways.
0: Let's uh, finish this off where this takes a very interesting turn. And again, I'll use my 16-year-old son as an example. This guy's brilliant. brilliant. My, my son wants to be an engineer. He's inspired by Elon.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: then they talk about, are we living in a simulation? And so let me try and follow this logic. Um, Elon says... Uh, We've basically gone from Pong, which was a square ball and a flat bat as a game. I a remember computer that. Game. I remember that day. It I was love, awesome. <laughs> I love Pong. It's still one of my favorites. To today, where you have 3D rendered modeling, millions of people playing at the same time, this exponential increase. We are now starting the uh, revolution of uh, virtual reality. And he says if you follow this logic out, it is essentially impossible that we are living in a base reality. We are basically living in the Matrix.
3: I think here's, in my mind, like the the, the strongest argument for, the, for us being in a simulation, probably being in a simulation. I think is the following, um, that that 40 called 40, 40 years ago we had Pong, like two rectangles and a dot. That right. was what games were. Um, now 40 years later we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. Mm -hmm. And soon we'll have virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, If you assume any rate of improvement at all, um, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Just indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if that rate of advancement drops by a thousand from what it is right now, um, then you just say, okay, well, well, let's imagine it's a Ten thousand years in the future, uh, which is nothing in the evolutionary scale. Um, so, um, so, so given that we're clearly on a trajectory to have games that are indistinguishable from reality, and those games could be played on any set-top box or on a PC or whatever, and there would probably be, you know, billions of such, uh, you know, computers or set-top boxes. It would seem to follow that the odds that we're in base reality is one in billions
2: right, so if you think about this right <laughs> this is the only analogy that I made to this all right there's about uh i don't know fifty million people that have were really into the sims right the, the 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 game the sims right so somewhere if you were controlling the sims, you set up like a convention center. Beep. Right? And you had a bunch of people and you set up a show. The people in the show were having this conversation like, are we in a sim? And they didn't know either. But it's possible that that's what the hell he's talking about. That's the easiest analogy to what this potential is.
1: I sure as hell hope that's wrong.
2: (laughs) What does it matter? What does it
1: really matter? I don't know. I think it's an interesting thought experiment. It is. It is. And it's great to get your mind around it so that you can have cool, like, you know, Cocktail conversation, yeah. But the reality is, if you don't like your life the way it is, you can spend a lot of time on this, and otherwise, you can just live your life.
0: Even if you're a theist, then we're basically living in God's sim, and if you're a non-theist, we're living in some other sim. So in the end, it's all a sim anyway, whether it's base reality or it does. I'm loving the sim. The sim is good. Yeah, my argument against it is actually what other people said. And again, if Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg. I think, knew a little bit more about some of this stuff, they would have said the argument against this, the most profound argument against it is that it requires that technology continually advance. And he said even if it advances at a fraction of what it's advanced on over time in 10,000 years, you have this ability to produce a sim which is indistinguishable from reality. But other philosophers have said it's also very likely that every single society throughout the universe gets to a point where it can kill itself and has the power to do that but isn't morally smart enough as a collective to not kill itself. And so society gets to a certain point and destroys itself. And that's been the big concern about humans. that We are so smart now and then we are stupid enough to elect somebody who's crazy and they start a nuclear war and that's the end. And then you and, go and back I, to the Stone Age and start again.
2: And we're stupid enough to not do anything about you know, raising sea levels or, or, or things exactly. like that. Right? We have
0: become more powerful than our uh, – our moral and ethical uh, cortex, and so that's why we are never going to get to this era where Sims are indistinguishable from reality because we always end up, up. Thank you very much. Yeah, they asked him. So, what do you do to to chill out? And he says, "Look, hang out with my kids and doing normal stuff is what I like the best." And he did say, "Harry Harry Potter Land is fantastic." Yeah, and Butterbeer is really nice. And the,
2: and this one, not the he didn't talk about the Orlando one that opened first. He was talking about this local one. I want to uh, go, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to
0: sit in line for 20 hours. I'm going for sure.
2: I'll be there this
0: summer. This summer? For sure, no problem with yeah. my daughter. Well, you guys, you can come. We let's, should make a let's plan. Let's make it happen. We'll Grab some microphones and go. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And I'm buying a fast pass. Are you buying a wand? Oh, you know it. But the one chooses wand chooses me. I have a wand. Look, we've got no time for letters. We've got a lot of letters. I want to summarize just a few of them for you, though. Here we go. From Michael Sullivan. Um, Michael... Uh, Notes that uh, he has a red Tesla Does that make him a loser? No, the point I made with red Teslas Is that I want a red Tesla Everybody took me out of a red Tesla Because they said only losers drive red Teslas And I'm like, well, I want a red Tesla
2: Right, but you bought another Tesla No one told you anything about it And you still bought a white one so But I what bought it hell? for the
0: wife She wouldn't want a red Tesla Did you ask her? Yeah, she doesn't like red cars Because she uh, notes that they you get tickets Way more often with a red I, car
2: You know what? I want to see some actual data to back that up
0: I think it's true But uh, we'll next week I think it's twenty percent more. Anyway. I think
2: if you have a red car and you drive like Robert, then yes, you're yeah. going to get more <laughs> tickets. I don't see your oh, wife see. out there driving a hundred miles an hour.
0: No, you're right. There's probably this. Uh, that's there's a methodology issue there. The type of person who likes red right. has probably got more testosterone. Right, probably right, drives right, faster. Yeah. Like if you that's choose not me a, though. I just like red, and I'm a slow driver.
2: Like if you choose a Ferrari red car, I mean you're not going to drive. Do you think
0: if Mel
1: had a red car, he'd actually get tickets? No i don't think oh, so no way it. no it happened tevin the cop Gr- is going to be
0: tailing him saying come on
1: asshole, go faster tevin get you.
0: grant last week sent us this big long email about uh, autonomous vehicles um and lots of other stuff so tevin thinking we said we'd talk about it more so we've talked a lot about autonomous vehicles but he's the summary is that it changes everything and uh, you have an autonomous vehicle and it takes you to work and it takes your kids to school and it goes and picks up your friends from the airport and it it does stuff for uh, fedex and it does stuff for amazon it completely changes the way cities are It completely changes where people live it is a fantastic email i think it's so good tevin if where we get your permission we'll just put it up on the uh, show notes because there's too much to talk about i want you to redact part of it which part
1: my feelings were hurt
0: oh he said we're not tevin s-
1: said you guys are no top gear or car talk do you but, it, but it gets me by on my hour train ride.
0: Have you ever listened to Car Talk?
2: Also, I'm not a doctor. Those guys are doctors, but I'm not.
0: Uh, have you ever listened you to Car two. Talk? <laughs> car I Talk have. is it is fantastic and I want to break something it's to you guys. It's big time fantastic. We're no Car Talk. No,
2: for <laughs> sure. I I mean, but we're on some levels we're not trying to be Car Talk. Like obviously we, we don't try to be We, far, smart, we listen and to hubris. those guys. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not taking live event phone events. calls, which we could. We're not
1: setting uh, Tesla thion- ion batteries
0: on fire. I'm just saying. Like they okay. would in Top Gear. We do that. It's like saying I'm not Michael Jordan. You're damn straight. I'm not Michael Jordan. No, I never will be. Hey, uh, we also got a letter here from Benjamin David, another really good and very long one. Uh, but let me summarize it. He says, We talked about last week about why. Um, There's so many Priuses and not so many uh, Volts. And he basically says the summary is this, guys, is because the Prius is really cheap and gets a lot of gas mileage, and that's why people buy it. Simple as that. The end. Thank you very much. And I think he actually makes a pretty good point. He also makes another very good point. Car makers, unlike Tesla, really do not want to push EVs because they make so much money out of the infrastructure of having internal combustion engines and having to take them and get them serviced all the time. That is a big part of their income because of what we've talked about with electric cars. You only have to go change the tires once a year or every two years. There's no money in that for these guys.
2: Especially the dealer model, right? Yes. That's the dealer model in a nutshell. Dealers make very little money actually selling cars, but make a ton of money fixing Broken ICEs. How much? ton. Is so, that, is so,
0: that a, there's a metric ton, yeah. there's a, <laughs> yeah. an American ton, and well, then there is a... If you
2: think about it, it's this. It's the It's the pallet of money analogy. There's a pallet of money out there. Yeah. The dealers have figured out how to get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Pull it right out of your pocket.
0: <laughs> exactly. We got another very long email, which I haven't had time to uh, look at, but it's from Paul, and it's about the SpaceX, power wall. and it's about walls and it's about Vandenberg, and... Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Hope you enjoyed the show. we've been talking. 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 Talking Tesla.